This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mine, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we will be discussing cultural considerations for Latina moms who are dealing with maternal mental health issues. We'll cover some of the relevant issues about Latina moms during pregnancy and postpartum, some cultural specific practices, and some of the barriers to treatment and access to care for these moms and families. There's so much ground to cover when it comes to being fully culturally aware. So we're hopefully to touch on some of the main considerations today, continue to have the discussion around culturally relevant, sensitive care concerns for all cultural and ethnic groups. Today we have on Amelia Ortega-Hara, who is the LCSW psychotherapist in private practice at Corazon Counseling Service. Amelia has been a longtime advocate for culturally and linguistically appropriate mental health services for the Latino community. She has worked and collaborated with social justice organizations as a community organizer and trainer on issues highlighting women and girls. She's worked with various community-based mental health agencies, facilitating the healing process of youth, women, and families who have experienced trauma. Amelia has extensive experience developing and facilitating both therapeutic support groups and leadership advocacy groups for women. She took special interest in developing her clinical expertise in the treatment of perinatal mood disorders after the birth of her son. Amelia has been a postpartum support international coordinator for Riverside County Warmline for the past five years. She facilitates trainings and workshops on maternal mental health and cultural specific issues throughout the Inland Empire. Thank you so much for being here, Amelia. Thank you, Kat, for the work you're doing through this podcast and your contributions to stopping stigma. Thank you. I can say the same to you. You've been doing this work for a long time. You're such an amazing advocate, not only of just moms, but Latino moms. And you know so much, and I'm excited to have you here to share with us 
all of your knowledge. Yeah, I've been working with women, specifically Latina women, for a little over 20 years now. And it's it's been such a humbling and fulfilling experience to provide my services to this community, especially now that I'm a mother. I understand their love and passion for their families and, and their desire to make things better for their children. It's like it's deeply ingrained in our genetic code, responsibility for not only our children, mm-hmm. but for the next seven generations. Yeah. So maybe you can start with telling us a little bit more about you and the work that you do, and we'll get into some specific about what to consider for Latina moms. Really busy and working really hard in the last two years in my private practice, where I primarily work with pregnant and postpartum women and their families, adjusting to the transitions of motherhood, and of course, coping with the challenges of depression and anxiety. I also do a lot of couples work and premarital counseling, along with courses and trainings on maternal mental health issues. Latino mental health specific issues. As an LCSW, my social justice background, my work is also very much centered around a strength-based framework Mm -hmm. instead of this needs-based perspective. I'm all about bringing forth the power and strength of Latina mothers, the resiliency and sense of unstoppable hope. I feel that as mental health providers, we've been working from this ethnocentric needs-based perspective for Mm -hmm. a little too long. consequences in the outcomes. Uh, Many times Latina mothers feel worse than better after a visit to a mental health provider. So lots of work that we need to do. Right. I want to hear about all of that. (laughs) I think your perspective just for Latina moms is amazing, but also just mothers in general using a strength-based perspective. Maybe we can start then with just so that the audience, maybe people who are first hearing about these types of consideration, cultural considerations, are Latina moms who are listening so they can hear themselves in what we're describing. What are some of the unique things, the expectations or pressures that happen for Latina moms during this time, pregnancy and postpartum? So first, I would like to add that there are unique cultural attributes to each Latino subgroup, right? As we know, we have people from women from Puerto Rico, Venezuela, South America, Central America, but overall the values and beliefs of motherhood are very similar. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of this conversation and this podcast, I will primarily be focusing on my personal and professional experience with Mexican immigrant mothers and first-generation Mexican-American mothers. Great. Um, Thank you for clarifying that. That's a huge, when we discuss Latina, that's a huge population of people. And absolutely, there are very cultural differences. So thank yes. you for clarifying. Yeah, it's definitely important to note that um, Mexican mothers and those of Mexican descent are the largest group of women giving birth here in California. So this is why it's so critical to have these conversations and understand motherhood and maternal mental health in the context of this culture, right? right. Absolutely. And mental and emotional well-being of Latina mothers has short-term and long-term implications for all of us here in California. Absolutely. Recent studies show that Latina women are three times more at risk of developing a postpartum depression anxiety disorder. It's nearly 50% of Mexican-American women. That's a huge number. Yeah, that is really, really big. There's also this important factor to note that I want to state before moving on is we've all heard of the Latino paradox, which documents that recently immigrated women have better birth outcomes than the national average. Mm. Not only that, they're also less likely to experience postpartum depression or anxiety. So despite this socioeconomic status, poor living conditions, and the adjustment to a new culture, they are overall healthier. But the irony is in this, right, that, and this is well documented, the greater the acculturation of a Latina mother in the United States, 
the greater the risk for health outcome. Studies after studies show that recent immigrant women's mental health is better than Latina women born here in the United States. This is one reason, right? One negative effect of acculturation is the erosion of the Latino social support structure that we know it's so important. Unfortunately, due to the pressures of individualism, materialism, the social pressures of work, this concept of timeless money, one begins to leave behind the social connections that keep us connected and emotionally supported. This has cost a consequence. Yeah. And we see this in the statistics mentioned earlier. Right. Oh, wow. Essentially, the, the moms that are just coming here still have some of that intact in terms of the social supports and the cultural practices are protective of health. Something that I wanted to, to highlight in this conversation, because mm-hmm. it's, this is applicable to all, all cultures and ethnicities. You right. know, if, we see, if we begin to see this as something to learn, develop like social support networks, Mm -hmm. which we see it's so needed with mothers going through uh, depression and anxiety. We have something going on here. And along the lines too, we have these expectations of of motherhood in our culture. So motherhood is highly regarded in our culture and is by far the most important role. I mean, Mother's Day is a national holiday in Mexico. Mm -hmm. There are parades, you know, businesses close, schools have concerts and celebrations. Mothers, it's really a big deal. Yeah. Immense loyalty and love for mothers and utmost respect for them. Mothers have this tremendous expectation mm-hmm. to endure it all for the love of their children. Yeah. The quote unquote self sacrificing mother. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not necessarily a negative thing, depending on how it's framed. Sure. It can actually serve as a protective factor, right? Or what I call it, a cultural asset. Uh huh. Um, right, right. It is through motherhood that the Mexican woman finds her strength and resiliency to persevere in spite of all obstacles. And this Mm -hmm. is what I've seen time and time again with my clients over 20 years and working with them. It's this unconditional love for their children. She's determined and motivated to get better. Even, I find this really interesting too, even those Latina women who are not mothers, there's this sense of a sacred duty to help others in their community and family, Mm -hmm. the sense of interconnectedness, right? And this is a a really deep, beautiful cultural value. Right, Right. that's amazing. So they're pulling on their role. Like, and it sounds like, I think maybe one of the benefits that I'm hearing is that it's a well-defined role. There's no real confusion about like what motherhood means necessarily. Yes, exactly. And like I said, it highly regarding and respected, but unfortunately, when it does become problematic, especially for a mother that's going through a perinatal mood disorder, is when the shame and guilt of not meeting that expectation of one's role as mothers mm-hmm. creeps in so deep that she's yes. frightened, that she's fighting through this emotional pain alone. Right. She becomes afraid to reach out for support and fear right. that she'll be judged and labeled as a right. bad mother. Right. Oh, right. So because the role, maybe that's the downside of the role being so highly regarded and well-defined is that mom or isn't able to reach, the, meet those expectations, then her feeling is so much worse about herself, the guilt and the shame like you described. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted?, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories 
that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Talk about kind of like the structural... (laughs) situations that have contributed to this right mm-hmm. so, so before it's it's understandable why a latina mother is not going to easily open up right mm-hmm. about her mental and emotional struggles there's mm-hmm. this tremendous shame and guilt attached to that so it's important as providers that we're aware of these cultural expectations mm-hmm. the values and beliefs that latina have about motherhood but again i really want to emphasize that if we approach this from a strength-based framework Mm -hmm. These values and beliefs are at the core of a mother's recovery and well-being. So Mm -hmm. it's really up to us as providers to ensure that there's systems in place, right? Mm -hmm. This resiliency in Latina mothers to win their trust. So it's it's really about trust. So Mm -hmm. if they don't trust the providers or the system to come and to help her through this challenge, it's not it's not gonna happen. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. To continue adding to this, which I think is really, really important. um, I want to challenge uh, this negative stereotype of the Latina mother as this weak who's at the mercy of her machista husband. <laughs> I kind of laugh sometimes at this um, stereotype that's really prevalent in our culture, which in reality is that our culture is very much matriarchal, despite these negative stereotypes. Right? Mm-hmm. Within the family context, it is the mother who's at the center of the family. Right. You know, the one who gets things done, the one who holds it down much power to her role as a mother. Right. Um, Latina mothers are strong, fierce women. I know, I was raised by one. And <laughs> I get surrounded with them all my life. Right. As you're talking about this, I can just sort of imagine when a, if a Latina mom is going in for treatment with somebody who doesn't understand these cultural considerations, maybe needing to play to the strengths of her culture and the strengths of her history, might be asking her to almost maybe do the opposite, like be independent or don't ask for help or I don't, you know, it could go all kinds of ways where they feel more isolated. Yes, exactly. And that's what happens so many times. This is why we need 
these conversations and thank you Kat for for doing this <laughs> oh yeah well this isn't going to be our only conversation with you and with other providers who can bring cultural perspective because it is absolutely necessary we don't all come from the same culture let alone like the same family everybody's different but specifically there are these things that we should be really paying attention to so value your wisdom and insight here in terms of, and you went over some of the expectations and some of the pressures, and I'm sure that could maybe be a, from the culture and on moms. Any one of these questions that we're going over, we could spend hours on. Right. Um, <laughs> for the sake of having this be part of our beginning, our conversation, what other things, what kind of cultural practices can be a part of this time during pregnancy or, or postpartum that are protective of moms and helpful what happens if they cannot engage in those practices? Like you're saying, you work with a lot of immigrant moms and maybe they don't have the structure in place to uphold some of the cultural practices. But so I guess that's two questions. What are some of the practices that people use to cope and get through and what happens when they can't use them? Yes, I really want to share this beautiful cultural practice called La Cuarentena, which is a four-day period, rest period for a mother, which consists of the mother's family and community coming together to nourish and, and help the mother heal from birth. Fully aware that the well-being of the child is ultimately tied to that of the mother. It's 40 days, like traditionally practiced in Mexico. Usually it's practiced in villages and rural areas of Mexico and Latin America. And this practice includes nourishing foods, healing teas, massage for mama and baby, vaginal steam baths. It's all about nourishing the mama physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And these practices are still very alive in, in many uh, communities in Mexico and other Latin American countries. But what happens for immigrant women here in the United States is that they don't have this village of elders and sisters coming to nourish her and be with her for 40 days right here in the United States. Mm -hmm. we, right. we don't have the luxury to do that. Um, she's on her own. So, so this can bring a tremendous sense of isolation. And of course, we know this to be a risk factor for postpartum depression and anxiety. Right. In addition, even if they do have some social support here in the United States, due to the pressure of acculturation, many of these women fear to be seen as superstitious or old-fashioned for following these traditional postpartum oh, practices. No. Yeah, it's really sad to, to see that. Yeah, it is too bad because, I mean, I can imagine every mom hearing this right now, whether Latina or not, would love 40 days of, of that. Uh, let's, let's bring that back. Let's right, <laughs> totally, which it is, little by little coming back. So recently, I wanted to share this study that just came out in Cal State San Marcos, an assistant professor, Kimberly Hernandez. She finds that the more a Mexican-American mom holds on to her family's traditions, less depressed they become mm -hmm. during pregnancy and immediately after birth. So again, this is evidence to show that our traditional cultural values, mm -hmm. family and community are not barriers, but protective factors. So, yeah. so going back to this traditional Mexican practice of la cuarentena, we begin to look at how we don't have the luxury of being nurtured for 40 days after giving birth, but we can begin to look at how we can still honor these ways and practices more intentionally, personally, and in our communities with our sisters and clients. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, there is a re resurgence of these beautiful traditional 
Mexican postpartum practices. It's happening throughout California in the Southwest with young first-generation Chicana indigenous women bringing back these, these traditions and sharing them with the world. Locally here in Southern California, there's an awesome woman. Her name is Fakitsani. Through her practice, Indigenous Mama Ancestral Healing, she provides course doula care, workshops, retreats, online courses like total womb care, vaginal steam wow. bath, use of the reboso, nutrition, and so many more traditional Mexican postpartum practices. You all can find her at indigamama.com, and we will have this information at the end um, as well. Right, Dr. Kiani? Yeah, I'll put those in the show notes. I'll put all the information you give today. Anything you mentioned will be in our show notes for, for people to access later. Okay, wonderful. Also in San Diego, there's another great resource, La Matriz Birth Services. Tema Mercado provides doula care, and soon she will be providing home birth midwifery with an emphasis on traditional Mexican postpartum practices. So it's happening, right? That's amazing. Not just Latina women, but these workshops and retreats for everyone. Again, seeing our traditions and, and ways as strengths, right, as, um, as protective factors. So it's really exciting to see this happen, being part of these um, Chicana Indigenous women and having this resource for my clients too. So I many times I refer my clients to practitioners like these, like Indigamama Pakinsani and Dema Mercado. And I also work with um, local folk healers or curanderas. I refer clients to them and we, and it's just a really beautiful cultural exchange of the work that we do. Yeah. It's all good. I want to clone you and the work that you do (laughs) and send it all over the place. Hopefully there are people listening who can resonate with this or need this, or they're already working with these, with Latina moms can consider how to incorporate this kind of perspective in their work. Because there are just already so many barriers. There's some cultural barriers and there's language barriers sometimes that make it hard to help and support. Sometimes a provider might feel like it's all on them to do everything, but no, collaborate. Like, refer out to culturally relevant resources. In terms of getting cultural specific supports, have you found there to be a lot of barriers around language? Let's talk a little bit about barriers because I want to take a little different approach in this. I find it interesting that many times we focus on a person's culture as a barrier, as if it's their fault that they're not getting the support they need. I hear it all the time, you know, amongst professionals, you know, well-meaning, of course, but again, we're not seeing the entire picture. We're not seeing our clients from this, again, strength-based perspective here. Mm-hmm. And this could be a problem. I really believe that the the real barrier here is like, the social, economic, and political structures and inequalities, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> the real barriers here, not one's culture, sex, religion. Right. For language, we do have these barriers related to access to care, such as yeah. right, not having enough bicultural, bilingual therapist, insurance, the cost of services, transportation. These are all real issues. But again, if we break them down, it all goes back to the structural inequalities that exist yeah. that keep many of these Latino families in the shadows. So oh, yeah. it, it's like this, uh, it could be a little overwhelming <laughs> once you really break it down. It's like, mm-hmm. whoa. Um, and essentially what you were saying and speaking to is that the barriers aren't with the person, the barriers are with the system. And the system needs to make adjustments to allow folks to have access to care. Yeah, and this is where we come in as, as providers and advocates and okay. When we see our clients in the community that we work with as as active agents of change as well, mm-hmm. we include them in the process. So in the work that I've done previously, I read my history of being a community organizer. And when I was in the Bay Area, I was helping 
organize women around issues of housing or living wage. And, and what I found is that these women wanted to come and talk about their everyday struggles, right? I realized that, okay, I needed to create a safe, sacred place for them to share their struggles within themselves and their family. Then after that, they were able to be those agents of change. That's something really important also to consider is including these women as active parts in their treatment plan, right? Because they have this sense of not only, again, an obligation for their children and their families, Mm -hmm. but for the children and the family and the community as well. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Yeah. That's important. If we tap into that, it's like, whoa, it's a powerful force. (laughs) That's right. That's right. The things that are needed kind of structurally within the community, this would be different, I guess, in each different location, like like whatever county, whoever's listening right now, whatever county you're in might have a specific set of things to consider when really wanting to make sure that people are having access to care. Some of what you described is getting Spanish-speaking therapists yes, and getting people trained, some of them specifically for maternal mental health issues, getting folks trained in some, at least some of the basics. Yeah, that's really important. And in relation, of course, once you have those basics, how do you work with Latina mothers, right, mm-hmm. that are going through post There is a different approach. And I think one really, really important barrier here too that um, is trust. So there's this lack of trust in mental health providers and in the mental health system in general. This has really kept so many Latina mothers from seeking support. In fact, a recent study conducted by Dr. Luz Lara Sinisomo, she documents that lack of trust is the primary barrier to seek formal mental health services. 
It's a big deal. This is where as providers, right? We're responsible. I feel safe. Many times they feel judged mm-hmm. and not valued by providers. And they fear that medication will be forced on them. Mm-hmm. And of course, this really real legitimate fear of their children being taken away. Right. And I think you're speaking to like the model for most kind of, I guess, therapists, doctors, professionals is to be in an office and wait for people to find them. Put something on the internet and hopefully people can find them. But I think what you're describing is like being out in the community, talking about your services and building trust within the community in a way where you're in there with them, not just waiting for, you know, in a white coat, waiting for somebody to ring your telephone. Exactly. Being there with them. That's why this model of promotora or the cultural health worker has been so beneficial in creating this awareness and education around the issue of maternal mental health, mm-hmm. the use of promotoras, because this is how they're receiving this information from a culturally and linguistically appropriate manner, right? Um, mm-hmm. which is very much needed. Not too long ago, Latina women were being forcefully sterilized here in our own backyard. The reproductive rights completely violated. Understandably so, many Latina mothers would rather seek support from a trusted friend, clergy, or promotora de salud, the community health worker. Right. Wow. Yeah. So there's some institutional racism. I don't know how you want to describe that. That's just horrible. That's what I talk about when I mention social structural inequalities. This Mm -hmm. is what I'm talking about. Kind of overwhelming. But if we understand it from that framework and perspective, we're able to not see these women as victims or as Mm -hmm. it's their fault, right? Right. That's why it's important to see it from this macro level. Absolutely. I mean, bringing, having the strengths-based perspective is such a valuable perspective to have all of the things that you've discussed so far. And again, we're just kind of touching on some of the main topics, things to consider. There's so many other, other aspects to the culture, to treatment, and to being culturally sensitive that are important. I guess I'm sort of, on some levels, I'm thinking to like, Hopefully there are some moms listening. They weren't considering getting help, that they know that there's a place for them now with you or with some of the people that you've mentioned or hopefully someone in their community. What have you seen in terms of healing and wellness after moms do get connected to the right kinds of resources? What's the best kind of support? The best kind of support is, I'm going to start from the macro level, which is the personal and professional, okay? Is... When a therapist includes, or an agency or organization, doesn't have to be a therapist, private practice, of course, is um, including the mother as an active part of the treatment plan, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing their culture and values as protective factors. This will surely begin to establish the trust that is at the core of why Latina mothers don't seek services. Why many times they, when they do start services or treatment, they don't come back. And I think, um, Also looking at our own, being aware of our own bias and prejudices and how we unconsciously perpetuate the stereotype of the Latina mother. So I kind of wanted to break it down in like the micro, meso, and Mm -hmm. macro levels of of what I've seen in my practice and in my years of doing this work and, and with others. And at the community level, at the meso level, is making intentional efforts to include the mothers family in her treatment, which includes her husband, her mother, her sister, you know, even her mother-in-law, because a lot of times they live with them, is a vital part of her recovery. 
They should be part of the treatment plan since the beginning. And and this kind of is something different than what we were trained, right? We would see it if you include the whole family. It's like this enmeshment. Well, no, not for our culture. (laughs) It's not enmeshment. It's part of, um, it's needed. We need the family to be involved because again, they are her protective factor. They're the ones that are going to be there every day. And then they need that education and awareness of what maternal depression and anxiety look like. So that's a big one when working with the community and what I've seen, they've asked for it too. It's like, can I bring my husband, my children, my mother-in-law, my sister, they asked for this. Mm-hmm. And of course, establishing the support groups in the community that are facilitated by women that look like them, right? And, and then speak their language. Uh, here in the Inland Empire, we have El Sol or the Promotoras de Salud from El Sol that do excellent work around the issue of maternal mental health with the support groups that are being held and they're reaching this population and what they do is like I work closely with them they refer those clients that or those women in the group that need a little more support more intensive therapeutic services they would refer them to me mm-hmm. so it's a nice collaboration that right. um, we have going on I also provide a training and support for the promotoras maternal mental health so Having those types of collaborations throughout, if it could be implemented like countywide, that would be amazing, right? It should be. (laughs) Whoever's listening, yeah, let's get on that. (laughs) I know, absolutely. And not joking aside, totally. I mean, especially in Southern California and in the Southwest where I don't know what the population numbers are, but it's definitely higher than in other parts of the country, maybe. Oh, yes. In the Southwest. So this is an integral part of treating the mothers, treating the community, treating the children, and making sure that families uh-huh. are healthy is attending to this from a culturally sensitive perspective. Yes. And the approach that I take in my work in general is this holistic approach where, where you look at the mother in her environment right? mm-hmm. and everything, her, her mind, body, spirit, soul, community, everything, considering all those aspects, even her trauma, trauma-informed the way her story of immigration how she came to the United States and for what reasons what conditions what would she have because a lot of times they endure a pretty arduous journey to the United States that could be very traumatic so I always include make sure that I ask those questions and in my assessment and work with mothers Uh, and something else that I find necessary and also that has worked many other communities doing this work around mothers uh, latina mothers is creating these social support networks right that include traditional postpartum care workers mm-hmm. such as arteras or the midwives right mm-hmm. the doulas de salud and lactation consultants or these curanderas or you know folk healers really important to include have them as part of a social support. And it would be wonderful to develop something more formal as well. And at the macro level, of course, we have the policies, you know, to address yeah. the social inequalities and then various to care. But this, even though this is the most impactful and sustainable and long lasting, it requires a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. to do what we could do as providers. There's many organizations and advocacy groups out there working around the issues of maternal mental health, mm-hmm. like example, and I interviewed quite a few of them as Eternal Mental Health Now, mm-hmm. 2020 Mom, Postpartum mm-hmm. Progress. And locally here we have, here in the Inland Empire, we have 
San Bernardino Maternal Mental Health Working Group that I know you and I are part of, yeah. the Inland Empire Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative, which, by the way, is hosting their seventh annual Maternal Mental Health Conference titled The Impact of Culture and Faith mm-hmm. on Parental Mental Health. So this is perfect timing. One of the keynote speakers will be Dr. Luz Lara Sinisomo, which um, she's the one that I just quoted that study about trust. Yeah, she yeah. will be highlighting her clinical work and the research around uh, best practices with Latino families. So it's going to be an excellent conference. I encourage those that can make it to be there, and that's going to be October October twenty seventh at Loma Linda University. That's great. There's so much we could talk about, and I feel like we should talk again uh, multiple times about this and really continue the discussion. This isn't like a, let's just talk about cultural issues once. I mean, this is an ongoing discussion, things that all providers need to keep in mind, and not just mental health providers, though. I'm talking about OBs, pediatricians, family health doctors, anyone who is having contact with a mother hopefully, is having some of this in mind, or at least having an awareness, if I can say, if you don't know enough that you need to know more, or to refer out to somebody who does know more, in order to help protect the health and well-being of moms and babies and families. This type of prevention and this type of addressing this stuff early on helps way, way long term, even just with a little, a lot of information you gave us today, but clearly enough to cover everything. Really good to get people to have this in their awareness and to be thinking about this as they're meeting with Latina moms and more specifically Mexican moms and immigrant moms from Mexico. Yes, Ken, I'm always available for any consultations, um, any group or individual that would like consultations on working with Latina moms. Contact me. I'll be more than happy to be of service. Yeah, so that's at CorazonCounseling at gmail.com. is your email and you have a Facebook page, Corazon Counseling, local here at Riverside in Southern California, but in terms of consultation, I think so many people could benefit from talking with you. Thank you so much for all that you shared today. Thank you, Kat, for the wonderful work you're doing. I'm so glad that we are working on this together, too, and that you're, we're neighbors and we're, we're in this yeah. journey together. You're awesome. Thank you so much. We'll have you back again. Bye-bye. By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom and Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.